Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast. My name is Brother Thomas Therese and I'm joined by my good friend... Daniel. Daniel, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm very well. Good to be joining you again, Brother Thomas. And I know, we've had well. quite a long break this time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's been a good break. I think, I think we both needed a bit of a break. I think it's exactly um, a month. So the day we're recording this is, is exactly a month to the day oh from when we... Yeah, from when we released Uploaded the last episode. Last episode. Oh. Uh, well, oh, we, we had a reflection was... in the meantime. Oh, yeah. And we got another one coming out as well. Soon. We do, we do. <laughs> um, yeah, we thought it had been a while, so we thought we'd put our hand back to the plough. And it's been over a year since, of course, Light from Light started. Light, Light from Light started, what, January the 6th or so uh, last last year. So oh, it's been birthday. quite uh, an interesting time, hasn't it? Yeah. Happy birthday I mean, to this, Light from Light. This, Congratulations, yeah. Brother Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations to you. <laughs> um, yeah. So today, when this episode is going out, uh, is the feast of Saint Thomas Aquinas, uh, who was a great saint in the early part of the Dominican order. He's probably the best known Dominican saint, actually. I would say he's certainly better known than our founder Saint Dominic. He's probably better known than people like Catherine of Siena. Um, and he's probably most known for his writing more than anything else. Um, most of pe- most of the people who I know who have a sort of devotion to St. Thomas, it's really more a devotion to his thoughts and to his writing and to the prayers he composed uh, rather than to to himself and, and to his sanctity and things. Yeah, so it's quite an interesting... I mean, you can't get through seminary education without studying Thomas Aquinas. And I don't think you can really study philosophy or theology uh, without looking at St. Thomas in some respect. Not that we go in for a sort of narrow, what's called Thomism, or a narrow sort of looking at St. Thomas where St. Thomas rules uh, the intellectual sort of hierarchy. But to have our thoughts informed by St. Thomas, uh, as well as by other thinkers, uh, I think is, yeah, profitable, shall we say, profitable. Uh, Thomas himself said, beware the man of one book. So he would never expect anybody to just agree with him on everything. He was a man of generosity and humility. I think we said before on a previous episode that the, the good thing about Thomas Aquinas is he, he points beyond himself to others. So you mm-hmm. can't help read a, a couple of questions in his in his Summa, his that great work, the Summa. You can't help but read a few questions in that and see that he's pointing beyond himself to other sources as well. Yeah. other people to read other saints even other thinkers outside of outside of the catholic church so he points beyond himself in a great way yeah i so mean he, pra- he practices he practices what he what he says when when you say beware of the one with the man with the one book he also uh, i mean a lot of the time people will know him particularly in secondary school context they'll know him because of his arguments for the existence of god uh, he will, they'll know him for philosophical thought but, uh, you know, maybe also on the problem of evil and things. But his work is saturated with scriptural references, with references to the church fathers uh, from the East and, fr- and from the West. He quotes, you know, St. John Damascene. He quotes um, uh, St. John Chrysostom, uh, Gregory Nazianzen. And this, I think, at the time is actually fairly rare, drawing on such a wide breadth of sources and this is one of the reasons why some people in his own time found him quite a controversial figure. Uh, it, it's particularly when he quotes Aristotle. Aristotle at the time 
it was quite new in the West that Aristotle's thought and things, they were preserved really in the Islamic world. And through trade, we managed to have access to Aristotle again. Um, but by that stage, Plato was really the big figure in the West, philosophically. And Thomas Aquinas took Aristotle as a way of being able to illumine, to illumine the gospel and to illuminate truths about God. And he was a great believer that all truth, no matter where it comes from, no matter who says it, all truth is a gift from the Holy Spirit. All truth is from God. And also it goes back to God. It, all truth can lead back to the one who is truth. Proceeds from and returns proceeds, to. Yeah, proceeds from God and leads back to, to God. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he quotes Jewish scholars like Moses Maimonides. He quotes Muslim scholars like Ibn Sina. He quotes Aristotle, pagan philosopher. And um, yeah, this is one of the reasons why he comes into such controversy in his own time. And it's not until much later, actually, that Aquinas's thought is recognized as being something which is preeminently good. You know, popes like Leo the the Thirteenth in the eighteen hundreds and Paul the Sixth lavish praise on Thomas Aquinas as the common doctor or as the as the angelic doctor mm. because his thought is so expansive. And Leo the Thirteenth says, you know, his thought is so clear and it helps us to understand so many things. But at the time when Thomas was writing, and even for years after his death, there was something about him that actually got scholars' backs up. You know, he did have. A fair bit of opposition in his life to his to his teaching and to his thought yeah i i have here that pope leo 13th called him the prince of theologians in one of his his documents and then Pius the 12th as well said that his his works were preeminent both of teaching and bringing truth to, to light in students so yeah it's certainly foundational during the last century during the well i suppose the last two centuries for a lot of a lot of um, mm. of the popes pointing to his work as being preeminent. Yeah, and this this is a man whose whose Dominican brother, uh, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Robert Kilwoodby, burnt his books publicly in, in Canterbury. You know, and the Archbishop of, of Paris uh, issued a uh, Paris was the place where Thomas taught. The Archbishop of Paris uh, condemned the writings of of, of Saint Thomas Aquinas. Um, so it's interesting to to know that actually whilst Thomas does ha come to have a certain preeminence uh, in the church theologically, uh, it's not it's not that, that, that the church says that Thomas is right about everything or that one sides with Thomas <laughs> on everything. And Thomas himself would find that a very strange position for people to take. Um, and so people should quote him as, though, final say as though his words were, were infallible that. in some way. Yeah. But it's interesting to, to note how he's come to uh, uh, be understood as a preeminently good theologian when at the time he did have a lot of opposition. And he, his works vary. You know, he writes commentaries on scripture. He writes things about metaphysics and philosophy. He writes, obviously, what most people understand, the Summa Theologiae, which is supposed to be an introduction to theology for... It's an, it's an introduction, but how long is it? <laughs> Oh, it's very long, it's very yeah, long. and is, it's is not it actually finished? the easiest no. thing to understand. I don't think it was even um, finished, was it? 
No, not before he died. Some somebody took together some notes. I think that he had. It's the third part of the Summa. I think the Tertia Pars mm. that was sort of the bits on the sacraments. I think which were sort of pieced together from notes that he had after he died. But yeah, then also the Summa Contra Gentiles. The, what else did he? Also some in, other interesting things like he wrote something on the like first a first sort of catechesis he wrote and also a defense actually of the way of life of mendicant friars because at the time uh, that thomas thomas is what second generation maybe third at a push after saint dominic so when when was saint dominic so just we can situate ourselves would it be late 12th century no no no. so dominic died quite early on in the 12th century so the order was founded in 1216 by saint dominic and dominic died in 1221 okay yeah so it's into the 13th century okay and then thomas aquinas was born around 1225 something like that oh, sorry did i say the 12th century <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah 13th <laughs> yeah. yeah he died he died dominic died in 1221 uh thomas uh so he was born thomas, around 1225 yeah exact year and he died known, in the 1270s or so yeah it? i think was it 1275 something like that but something like that. okay so he's he is yeah second or third generation after dominic and so by that yeah. point i mean that's that's friars by that point they've they mm-hmm. spread to paris did you say paris they yeah be in, paris uh, canterbury, oxford. oxford we had an archbishop of canterbury by that stage mm. uh yeah i mean we grew we grew very quickly very rapidly. so thomas is yeah about the second generation or so of friars and so he, he you're, you're quite right i mean he is very foundational and formational of dominicans i mean not necessarily at the time i mean he he was certainly influential he went to a church council for example he was uh asked to undertake certain works of theology by the pope uh he was an influential teacher in paris he was also taught by somebody who was recognized as a great spiritual master the dominican bishop uh saint albert the great uh albertus manius um who was a sort of polymath and a great scientist of his of his day um so yeah, Th- Thomas has had an influence on the order, certainly uh, up to the present day and, and beyond and, and on the wider church. I, th- I think it's quite interesting you mentioned St. Albert the Great because that, that's one thing that we we I'm sure we've mentioned before in previous episodes, the fact that you're, you're never a saint on your own. You're not supposed to live mm. the, the Christian life on your own. You're There's a co-relationality, I call it. Like we're, we're, mm. we're co-dependent upon each other and this is how god wills to save people it's why you know christ one of the reasons why christ leaves a church it shows it's one of the things that the church teaches us uh, by its very existence is that we need each other we provide each other's uh, each other with opportunities for grace and growth and not only through how we treat other people and how other people treat us but we're instrumental uh, instrumental causes of grace we yeah we help people grow closer to god and to to each other yeah it, it sort of reflects the communion of saints that's exactly and it yeah i know but paul in in the new testament when he talks about we are you know saints on 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 this journey together he, he calls believers saints doesn't mm-hmm. he so we as well while we're here we have that what did you say co-relationality or yeah we're co-related to each other we're codependent upon each other I mean, we there's no real independence in the full sense of the word. Uh, we are responsible, right? We're responsible for what we do and what we say and how we act and things. But we're also 
codependent on each other. We need each other. As St. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. And the hand cannot say to the head, I have no need of you. Uh, we need each other from the greatest parts to the weakest and, and, and to the least. And actually, uh, it's the weakest parts uh, who the saints often uh, ascribe the as the most important parts uh, in the mystical body of Christ, in the, yeah, the co-relational, co-dependent relationship that we have with each other. There's a story about when Thomas was a student under St. Albert the Great, and Thomas was being teased as a dumb ox, and um, uh, Albert the Great said, this dumb ox one day, uh, his bellows will be heard around the world, throughout the world. And sure enough, that's exactly what, sure enough, what happened. Yeah. So that's why he has the nickname, the dumb ox. Mm -hmm. Yep. How funny. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, those phrases that I call you. <laughs> hey, oh, I am unworthy to be counted amongst his number. Um, <laughs> but just, just on that point of um, needing other people in this path of, of following Christ. There's there's a quote by Thomas Aquinas. He talks about friendship. He says, "There's nothing on this earth more to be prized than true friendship." Mm, absolutely. I, I think uh, I think that's very good at illustrating that point that we you know we're not supposed to live this on our own. Um, we're not supposed to live this Christian path on our own. Uh, we're supposed to live it with other people. So if you are trying to live this Christian path, try and seek out other people also on this journey. You know, go to, go to groups where there are other people yeah. trying to live this Christian path. That's it. I mean, we're not we're not supposed to be alone, you know, and there are many ways of there are many ways in which we cannot be alone with other people. It's not all just marriage. When people think about, you know, it's not good for man to be alone in in Genesis. People think, oh, marriage. Well, actually, I, I, it's more complicated than that. I think actually it's also friendship. I think marriage is probably best understood as a type of friendship. Um, yeah. And certainly if that friendship isn't there. If it's just a sort of, if there's no, no love there, if it's a, simply a political alliance, I mean, it's hmm. could be a recipe for misery. Anyway, <laughs> um. so so Thomas Aquinas is well, it's estimated that he wrote about eight million words. I mean, it, it it probably wasn't just him writing the words; it was probably some secretaries as well. He had people to help mm. him along along the way. Um, I know there are stories that are told that he had three different. Uh, secretaries writing at the same time and he would be talking to one and then talking to the other and then talking to the third one they say the same about Catherine of Siena oh really yeah. but whether that's yeah, yeah. Whether, I mean I don't know if that's true or not this is a story told about him but he had this incredible mind and obviously he had these these people helping him to pen all these all these thoughts and all of this theology he also I mean one of the re one of the ways that we might think that it is true is that he also had incredibly bad handwriting yeah uh, you can really see I, i've got a book that uh, the end papers the end papers of this book are copies of things that he wrote of, it, of his handwriting uh, and it, it's awful it really read like i can't i'm not very good at looking at ancient manuscripts and being able to but usually i can pick out a couple of words right but with his i can't i can't <laughs> well you know that you know my handwriting is bad and you know that Doctors handwriting yeah, right. is bad. I can understand what you're writing. <laughs> you no, know, your handwriting is you know they say a, a doctor's handwriting is normally very poor, but Thomas oh, Aquinas' yeah. handwriting is extremely poor. I, when I was, I, I studied a bit, of, I did a bit of study in philosophy, and there was this D Dominican brother of yours called Walter Senna, 
uh, he was considered, uh, and I think he was considered an expert in Thomas Aquinas and his works and in his handwriting. <laughs> he was able to understand his handwriting. And, it, and he said that there was only a handful of people in the world that were able to actually read his handwriting. It was that, uh, I don't know, messy or ob- obscure to be able to under, to read it and understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so maybe he did. Yeah. Maybe he did in, in some way have, um, well, he, well, he definitely did have secretaries and yeah. scribes. But yeah, eight million mm. words. What would you say is a mark then of of his works? Oh, I, I think probably one of the things that people should remember is that he was actually very mystical. So uh, we've already spoken about how Thomas is sort of open to truth wherever he finds it because he sees that it's a, a gift from the Holy Spirit. But very often when people read his thought because of how it's structured it's very it's very structured particularly the summa uh the summa theologiae um because of how it's presented how it's structured aquinas is often presented as unbending uh unchanging a sort of mechanical or or rationalistic mind who likes everything to fit sort of squarely in a box and uh you know everything fits into neat categories but i would uh, this actually isn't very accurate he does like to be clear if he thinks that something is clear, but he's also open to having guesses or he's open to having two different things which may be true and he and, and pointing out merits in both cases. He also likes using words like quidam or quadam, which means sort of or a certain That's you said sort, that, of. sort of. Um, <laughs> when I ask you... <laughs> Brother Thomas, yeah, what do you think about this? I, I do, I do. Mm, so, sort of correct. <laughs> sort of. Well, one of the things that Dan and Amelia tease me about is that they'll sort of they'll say something, and I'll what is it? What is it you were teasing me about in the summer? In the summer, like uh, one of you would sort of say say something. What do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And you say, mm, yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, if X, Y, and Z, and but no, I wouldn't say well, that. I imagine that's exactly blah, 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 how Saint Thomas Aquinas would have been around. I imagine you sat with him at the table. Uh, he would. He would like, well, yeah, sometimes well, I, I imagine no. so. You but know. you know, he's he's said to he be has incredibly that. funny. I mean, that's that's one of the things, and that's that was said of him during. He my does make some studies. jokes. Does he make jokes in his works? Yeah, you you find some jokes in the Summa Theologiae. So one of the things that he says is that arguments from authority are the weakest and then he supports it by an argument from authority which is quite funny there's another one that, where it sounds like a very um, Thomas Aquinas joke yeah uh, there's another there's another one where he talks about um people shall we say who are bigger you know um uh, because the, the the stories go that Thomas was quite a big friar he was he was quite chubby shall we say um, yeah, isn't and there that a story he, told that his he had a uh, in his desk they carved out a, a circle in their desk so that his belly could fit. Well, that's certainly something that people did for Churchill because we've got the desk still. I don't know whether it's true of St Thomas. Yeah, I mean, this is it, what some they people say, would say that it's but, that it's not true because yeah, there's a there is a, a pulpit um, in a village that we know St Thomas preached from, and the pulpit is very very narrow. Um, I'm not sure what time or what period of, of Thomas's life that's supposed to be in. Um, but yeah, so some people would say, no, it's not true. He wasn't that big. Um, 
um, because he we know he preached in this particular pulpit and it's a very narrow pulpit. And there are other people who would say, no, he was very big. And he makes this joke where he sort of says, you know, people who don't like food or something have something morally wrong with them. Or uh, he makes some sort of claim about um, goodness and also people who are chubbier, shall we say, or, sli <laughs> or slightly bigger. And people think this is... Uh, a sort of joke that he sort of that he makes uh, at his based on his own physique shall we say <laughs> okay so his his most well-known work uh I, I would say is probably the the summa theologia, theologia yeah. or theologica yeah either yeah. <laughs> people use both people use both yeah so that's his i'd say his most prominent work um which it mm. is is a it's a very strange thing i suppose mm. for for us in the 21st century when we look at that and we try to read that it's it's quite the layout of of the book is quite strange so it's questions and answers uh as well as yeah. replies to objections and, objections. and yeah. yeah so it's it's a very particular style of writing that would have been yeah uh, common in the day and uh, does it reflect his his role as someone who was um a, what did they say a master of the sacred page so in in lectures someone would stand up and they'd make a claim then someone would reply to that objection and, and it, it would mm. be like that it would be like a dialogue and then you would C summarize in disputations disputations yeah. yeah so does it reflect that it does a bit yeah so most people when, when i mean when you go and see the summa theologiae at the beginning what you'll have is a question like i don't know um, are the sacraments necessary for salvation then you'll have objection one objection two uh, maybe objection three uh, maybe more um, and the objections might say something like um, um, no because x y and z no because it is written blah 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 and then you'll have what's it uh, says um, like a, a said contra so like against and then it will be a quote from either the scriptures or from a church father then you'll have respondeo which is i answer that so then aquinas gives what he thinks and sometimes he agrees in part with the with the objections. Sometimes he disagrees completely with the objections. And then he replies to each one of the objections. Sometimes he, but he'll reply to an objection by saying, I've already answered this objection in my reply to objection one, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is a sort of, there is a certain sort of disputation that would go on at universities where either masters would debate with each other or students would question the master and the way you became a master actually in that day was you would challenge another master to in a in a public di disputation and debate uh, and you you could become a master uh through uh overcoming a previous master a bit like i suppose you know video games and stuff you've got to beat the boss to get like, there yeah, it sounds like a video game yeah but he mm -hmm. he was known as a master of the sacred page. He he was a, yes. a master of, of the Bible. That that was his expertise, um, presumably. But he was so, so widely read, wasn't he? You know. But yeah, no, you're right. He was he was a master of the sacred page. One of yeah. the things I noticed just from reading some of the the Summa Theologiae is that he he very often strongmans the objections. So he's very good mm -hmm. at building up the argument of say his opponent or, or those who he would be disagreeing with yes he he strongmans their argument which i think is a very very good uh, principle something that's yeah. very good to live by 
um, the, the opposite would be to straw man, to make weak their their argument in order to, to bring it Defeat down. It easily. But instead, yeah. he does the opposite. He he draw he um, tries to it make up. it as strong as possible. Yeah, and I think so. He does that in the pursuit of truth, which is mm-hmm. if if we could carry that principle over into everyday life, I think that would make a, a huge impact. So let me try and understand yeah. what you're trying to say. Uh, let me try and understand the argument you're making so that we can both pursue truth together. I think that's yeah. an excellent principle. There, there's a, a really sort of awkward moment sometimes when you study Aquinas where you're reading the objections to something and you think, oh, yeah, this is convincing. This is convincing. This is convincing. Yeah, gosh, yeah. And you get really into it. And then you sort of realize, yeah, hang on a second, Aquinas is... is about to demolish all yeah. of these things. <laughs> and then you read Aquinas' objection. It's like he's laying, it's and... like he's laying a trap. <laughs> it's, like, it's like there's a trap being laid. And then you're like, mm, how's, he, how's he gonna get himself out of this? How's he gonna get himself out of this? Yeah, you know you're watching like, J- I don't know, James Bond or something, or you're, you're watching a, an action series uh, or a detective has got, mm-hmm. into, got himself into trouble. And then suddenly they, they're able to weasel themselves out of it really cleverly. Like Sherlock's able to do. Oh, I like Sherlock. <laughs> I enjoy that. He's a bit like that. He's a bit like that. I'm, I, has Sherlock <laughs> finished now? What, the BBC series? Oh, they're always coming up with different adaptations. Yeah. Like. One of the things, actually, it's probably important to mention is also his poetry. So whilst his Summa Theologiae is probably the thing that people might know him consciously for most, what he's probably... I mean, very often with hymns and poems and things, people will know the hymn or they'll know the poetry, but they won't necessarily know who wrote it. So, for example, hymns like Pangilingua Gloriosa, Tantum Ergo, things like that, uh, the the office for Corpus Christi, things that we sing in, in procession and things, he wrote, Aquinas wrote a lot of those things. Um, that's probably something also where that people might recognize things that he's that he's written and then i think you also see that thomas uh, richard conrad has has this great way of describing thomas as a mind in love if you if you want to know what the mind looks like when it's in love look, look at saint thomas and you see that passionate deeply personal relationship with christ come through uh in in his hymns so for example in one of them he writes i am not like thomas wounds i cannot see but i can call thee lord and god as he um, that's an incredibly personal, personal cry from from Aquinas. There, he used to spend, uh, you know, time in front of the tabernacle praying, offering his work to the Lord, and then you get this, you know, I am not like Thomas, wounds I cannot see, but that I can call thee Lord and God, still as He. You know, these are words of longing, longing for vision, but also gratitude for what one has. So the words really of a of a mystical union really and he says himself that he's learned more in prayer in front of the tabernacle than from from reading books i was going to say it's probably illustrative of of that point he's he's someone uh, whose work comes from the fruit of being in relationship with god yeah so this great mind that he has is also in, is, is given uh, in humility to to god and then the fruit of all of that is is the work is the poetry but also his holiness mm. so the reason he is a saint is first and foremost because he he was made holy by god yeah he followed that path that that illuminated path of truth wherever it led in not only uh what he thought and what he wrote but also in how he acted what he did how he treated people and a lot of his theology is actually incredibly practical and incredibly pastorally thought out 
about how it can uh, be applied to help people because essentially he was involved in training people for the priesthood you know and people to become preachers so yeah he's uh he's a good egg he's a good model yeah and he th there's a wonderful story of when he he has this interaction with our lord uh, and he's talking about his work and he's he's offering his work to our lord mm. and uh, correct me if i, All if I, I get this written wrong. is a straw compared to what has been revealed to me he says yeah and and then there's, there's also another story or whether it's the same story i'm not sure but whether uh, where uh, christ says to thomas aquinas uh, you've written well of me thomas what would you have as your reward and thomas aquinas replies mm. non necessite domine nothing but you lord i want nothing but you nothing lord but you lord yeah i think that was an extraordinary thing to be able to Which say after bishop barham after writing yeah. eight million but, words <laughs> or more but quite high praise isn't yeah it? Oh, and, and bishop barron always says you know if, if jesus ever appears to you and asks you what yeah, you want that. that's the right answer nothing but you lord yeah so that's a wonderful expression i think to take from from this episode nothing but you lord mm -hmm. mm. so yeah it's the Great. end of our episode look at that right on time <laughs> Boom. So we'll be back again with another episode. We we have some some wonderful plans coming up for episodes. So make sure you subscribe, mm -hmm. make sure you like and, and share this episode with other people as well. And we'll be back with another episode very soon. Pray for us. God bless.